to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 7, Episode 14. I almost said 24 or something. I don't know why. <laughs> God, did my new job knock me out that hard? Uh, it's rubbing off. It's rubbing off. Anyway, it's called uh, A Walk in the Woods. The episode aired on February 15, 2001. Lauren was going that week 21 years ago. Singer-comedian Weird Al Yankovic marries 20th Century Fox marketing executive Suzanne Krajewski. The couple has one child together and is still married to this day. They're very cute. Lizzie showed me a picture while we were looking this up. Because there's no other headlines. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Weird Al deserves it. The trailer for his new movie looks fantastic. Everybody should mm-hmm. go see it. Uh, Hannibal, the sequel to The Silence of the Lambs, and starring Anthony Hopkins, Julianne Moore, and Gary Oldman, debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. Somehow I think I've seen this more than Silence of the Lambs, just by nature of that's the one that we own. It's also starring Ray Liotta's brain, I was which is the just going to ask. Sure, it seen. sure is. Oh. I was just going to ask, is that the one where Ray Liotta yep. eats his own brain? It sure is. Thank you, because that just immediately... In my eyelids now. Thank you, guys. Gary and, Gary Oldman's uh, makeup in that movie is so it's intense. Too. So horrifying. Just, uh, I I don't know cr- how critically acclaimed this one is, but I enjoy yeah, it. Not I'm sure mid. it's a I shit mean, fest, but yeah, pretty mid. It's obviously way way less well regarded than Silence of the Lambs, oh, of but it, but it is slightly slightly, and I emphasize the word slightly more well uh, better regarded than uh, what was the third one called? It was like Red Dragon. Red Dragon that's yes. that's a prequel, I think, but yes. But, yeah, but but the third yes, installment. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Which is a shame because that has um, Edward Norton, I believe. Mm. But anyway, I, I like this one. I don't care if it's poorly yeah. received. It's, it's gross. Oh, I, yeah. It, no, it's definitely one of those ones that was on like movie channels mm-hmm. and stuff. So like I feel like I did see this one a lot more than uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs. I'm like vividly picturing the DVD menu for it right now. That's where I'm at. But <laughs> anyway... Uh, that's that's an artifact of another time, isn't it? Just the, no, that's just, that's totally I'm, one of those things that's going to be lost in another like 10, 15, 20 years. Like, there's going to be an entire generation of kids who have no nostalgia for DVD menus or or bonus features or uh, like commentary tracks and all that shit. Like, they're that's going to be completely lost to time. Maybe that's why we ended up doing this podcast is we were the generation that grew up on commentary DVDs. Maybe, maybe, yeah. but um. Yeah, fun, quick, horrifying story about a DVD menu. There was one night I was staying over at my cousin's house, and we had been watching something on his on his Xbox, original Xbox. I don't even remember what it was, but the movie had ended. He was asleep. I had no clue how to turn the Xbox off or where the TV remote was, <laughs> so I woke up to this menu just repeating and repeating. Oh, no. And repeating, and it was, just, it was the most stressful night of my life. I was, like, 12, and... I think that was the first moment I had ever experienced anxiety. Mm. That that was what did it. But that just, was that was the mm. moment. He took a perfectly good Lolo and gave her anxiety. Uh. Yep. And last but not least, it wasn't me by Shaggy featuring Rick Rock rain, re, retains. There we go. Retains this. Let me do it again. It wasn't me by Shaggy featuring Rick Rock retains the top spot on the music charts for its second and final week. That is a crime. It should have been forever. <laughs> it's okay. No, we got we got some we got some very classic 
early aughts music coming I was down gonna the say, like, yeah, there's gotta be some I, just high octane trash uh, coming. Baby. While we were on vacation, I did tell my mom that I ratted her out about letting us listen to this song as children, and she was pleased. <laughs> she, was, she was like, damn it, Lauren, you're not supposed to use that mic for evil. Uh, as for what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One with Joey's New Brain. Maybe it's Ray Liotta's brain. I Who just knows? thank hey, you. Uh, at 8.30, NBC has well and truly given up on Cursed because Friends <laughs> airs just 30 minutes of outtakes. Like, they just have straight up given up on that show. Uh, at 9 p.m., Will and Grace with the episode My Uncle the Car. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with the episode Mayas and Tigers and Deans, Oh My. This week's episode had 26.2 million viewers tuning in, directed and written by showrunner John Wells. As a director, he's doing his fourth out of nine. First time we've seen him direct since Such Sweet Sorrow. And written, of course, by John Wells, doing his 20th out of 32 as a writer. And a previous one of his from this season was The Visit. And on a housekeeping note, uh, we should note that James Cromwell was nominated emphasis on nominated for an Emmy for this episode. And God damn it, he should have won. As you'll see in a nearly five-minute audio clip that I pulled for later in the episode, just because it's it's just it's all it's all perfect. Well, it there's is. Some it's all in there that I forgot to edit down. But anyway, uh, Daniel jump... can do that in post. Exactly. Let's jump into the episode here. Uh, previously, that was brought to us by Carrie, and it's just the beginning of the episode is just everyone waking up. Benton wakes up early, starts waking Cleo up, and just boom, sex ensues. Yep. Cool. Can Can you get it done before the alarm? Great. Cool. Better not. <laughs> Haha, ha. sassy. Uh, uh, Mark and Corday are snuggling, uh, snuggling up. Mark is specifically uh, curled up on uh, Corday's chest by the tummy. Yeah, by by her tummy. Listen to the baby kick. We're trying to feel the baby kick rather. Um, Corday's talking about how the baby is like the thing from Alien, which also no thank you. Speaking of horror <laughs> movies, I never care to see again. What? I'm just, I'm excited it's spooky season and I have to find like the three horror movies you'll watch with me. And the new Hellraiser uh, uh, trailer just came out. That's going to be old news by the time this airs, but I'm so excited. Yeah. Because it has, it has uh, our okay. favorite actor, thank you, whose name I can't pronounce, um, is going to be in it. And he looks menacing and wonderful in the trailer. So, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, and apparently it's uh, Green's last day of chemotherapy. He also he also uh, zeroes in, uh, which th- this came up several times in the listener responses. Uh, he he also zeroes in on the name Amanda for the baby, mm-hmm. which doesn't really you know of course stick. Uh, but nobody seems to be able to decide if this is a tongue in cheek inside reference to Amanda Lee, <laughs> or there's apparently also some kind of like tangential aliens reference uh, with the name Amanda that was also maybe. Uh, what they were going for with that because she's making the alien uh joke or, or alien comparison and then he uses the name amanda i'm not sure but it was kind of like both schools of thought are out there and with the er writers you never know is it that they're not paying attention and they forgot about continuity or is it that they're actually trying to make a joke who knows who knows maybe it's just a random name generator um our third out of four wake up scenes here is the gayest one uh carrie's waking up to Kim coming in the room, and Kim offers to make room in her closet for Carrie. Couple of inches of space in the closet. <laughs> she has so many clothes. How cute. But yeah, no, but they're both super cute, and I'm very here for it. And Carrie's teensy bit creepy 
but uh, yeah, a little bit. No, it's no, no. She's a, smitten. A teensy. I agree. Bit. I agree with Lizzie. It's a teensy. It's a. It's. It doesn't cross any lines, but it's just kind of like if you tilt your head and think about it for a second, you're like, it's a little weird. But you know, it's still it, it retains the sweetness of the moment. Very, very nice, very gay. My review of this scene, like very, um, I'm here for it. I disagree, but okay. Yeah, but yeah, Carrie's gonna watch Kim dry her hair. But Kim at least is aware of it and is like, oh, he like says it in a cute way. It's not yeah. like I don't never. I'm not getting into it. It's fine. I don't have <laughs> enough energy to y- argue with you guys about it. The gays are okay at this point. That's what we're talking about here. For now. For now. Uh. uh. Then we go over to Luca and Abby just finishing, as they say, making love. Um, her first words are, are you okay? Which I need to know, what kind of sex are y'all having that those are the first words out of your mouth after I mean, finishing? She's communicating. Like, that's, you know. Which is great, great. Yes, thumbs up for that. But just the very first words out of her mouth are that. So it's just, okay. Um, I feel like it's a valid question to ask his spooky ass at all times anyway. That's very like, fair. You know, it's like, are you okay, dude? Like, No, he's never okay. His, his brooding. But then he, to which he responds, I was thinking about the, the bishop. And I love her response. She's not even mad, not upset. She just goes, making love with me makes you think of a priest with lupus. Which is so good. <laughs> just, just so good. And then uh, very sweetly, she asks Luca about his wife, Daniela. Which I guess is I guess is sweet, but also feels like a weird time to have that conversation and bring that up. Like I just I don't know, just eh, maybe maybe not. I, mean, I guess yeah, there's... I guess his boner's already gone anyway. We're not we don't need to worry about killing it. <laughs> like just uh, you know, eh. there's probably better times, but I, I again I thought it was fine. I'm I can't be bothered. Uh, in with twinkles, and I thought that these were fainter than normal. To which I almost didn't think there was anything before the credits, but. Lizzie pointed out that there were some quieter twinkles there. So. Nice soft landing to bring us in. The credits what? looked really weird on this episode. How so? Maybe it's because we haven't watched the show Just in a the, couple weeks. It seemed oh, boxier. Yeah. The yeah, the, on, on our Hulu stream, they would, for whatever the reason, ratio. the aspect ratio was weird. Interesting. I don't know. Hmm. Everything else is fine, though. Yeah, so or I was just off. Who knows? Over- no, no, they were different overall thoughts on uh this opening because it is a different type of opening than we usually get and i feel compelled to ask the question because again it came up over and over again in the listener responses that people were like this is the best opening to any episode ever like people love the opening to this episode yeah like five stars 10 out of 10 no notes like people love the opening to this episode and i i watched it and and it's good and i really love the score which we're going to talk a lot about throughout the course of the episode because it comes up again and again but i'll be perfectly honest i gave it like a seven or an eight out of ten for me like i was just like it's it's good but like i don't i don't know that it like hit for me the same way it hit for other people so i was curious if that was just a me problem or no i'm I'm right there i'm right right in that same range with you daniel you guys will laugh for as much as i'm arguing for how everything was fine and not creepy i didn't think it was that it was fine it was aggressively fine lauren yep agent of chaos yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, the, the score is really, I think, the star of the show there, and it is yes. like, like I said, it's a, it's a softer landing than we are used to, which like, the, the whole discussion about what's your favorite like cold opening of the show, uh, kind of spurred in my mind to like think of like, one, at least of the ones we've had thus far, and I think if I had to pick, I think my favorite one thus far was the one just before Doug leaves when he goes into the ER by himself, and like, there's almost no. 
almost no uh sound other than the score like it's just doug like riding on the train by himself going into the dark er like Uh all this stuff like i think that's my favorite one and that's that's maybe second only to or or this one here is second only to that one in terms of like quietness my response to you is brilliant. You think I remember any episode after we've discussed it That's until fair. somebody mentions it again. That's fair. There is no recall for these in my brain. If somebody mentions it, I'll go, oh yeah, I know that one. But I cannot, I do not have an Aaron level of encyclopedic knowledge to where I just know. That's fair. So. I played I played myself on that one. It's like, who do you think you're recording with, Daniel? <laughs> well, in any event, we come out of the intro, uh, the, the intro that I want to point out for the, the mob, Lauren did describe as just fine. So, just you know, fine. at Lobob92345. Get out uh, of <laughs> We come back out of the intro, and it is slammed in the ER this week. Uh, but Chen is back, back from both Chen and Ming Na Wen, uh, back from their uh, both narrative and real life uh, maternity leaves. Uh, Abby helps her with her first patient of the day, a four-year-old who had a seizure during his arts and crafts class, because of course he did. Uh, Lauren can't have anything nice. Uh, Abby goes off to help a gentleman who interrupts them as they're trying to get the kid off the ambulance, uh, has someone complaining of weakness and other issues, and surprise, it is the bishop. James Tiberius Cromwell has returned uh, and <laughs> doesn't, doesn't think he can walk uh, into the ER. Uh, we do get to see Chen working on the four-year-old and Lauren. Whose films are those? Abby suggests that they uh, do a lumbar puncture, and uh, Chen wants to wait and see if it's just a febrile seizure. Uh, seems like Chen is feeling a little bit unsteady or just a little bit nervous about her first day back at work. I mean, it would be gone for a couple months. It's yeah, not surprising. It's totally, totally understandable. Kind of a kind of a heavy case to be dumped right into, but right. She literally walked out of the lounge where she presumably just put her stuff down, and then is like, "Oh, by the way, there's a four-year-old seizing in the lobby. Good luck." Yeah, and it's gonna get worse from here. Uh, anyway, let's go up to Romano teasing ER and his. Uh, let's go up to the OR floor. Romano's teasing Benton about his new office. Um, don't know why I just said teasing the ER. <laughs> Uh, Benton's working on some admissions folders to familiarize himself with the candidates. Romano says it doesn't really matter. They're all going to give him the same speech anyway. We'll see if he's right. Uh, Romano needs him to meet with the young man, though, who is upset about not getting an interview. Uh, one, William White. And William here is played by actor Keith D. Robinson, who appears uh, appeared in stuff like Dreamgirls, Dear John, and the extremely ill-advised in retrospect Mm. uh live action fat albert movie uh and he's making his first of three appearances here and this is a character that i completely just wiped from my memory just like didn't remember that this was a thing and especially since in this episode he really doesn't do anything like he just shows up and introduces himself and then that's it yeah of note though uh mr white here is black yes which does actually matter to the story. Yes, it does. Then we go over to Zach, the young boy from earlier. Still hasn't woken up after 40 minutes. That's not good, in case you guys didn't know. Um, the teacher doesn't have rights to an emergency consent for the LP, so Chen needs to have an additional doctor sign off on the chart. She goes and gets Carter to sign off for her to do the LP, just so that way, you know, there's two doctors backing up that this procedure needed to be done if there's not... Uh, adult who can legally consent to it 
Um, then we find out the bishop has really low pulse ox, just not doing great. He he could have um, pneumonia, but steroids prevent him from having fevers, so he wouldn't be able to tell he's sick. I love they say, I think it's here where they say something about, oh, something's in 78. And he goes, that almost sounds like a passing grade. <laughs> yeah. No, it should be 100. Like, yeah. Uh, Luca asks if he's called his primary care doc. Primary. Let me try it again. Luca asks if he's called his primary doctor. And um, he's like, or do you just keep coming to me because I'm easier to manipulate? To which the bishop responds very gently, I prefer your care. All right, Lizzie, yeah. you ready? This is what I was doing my homework about. We'll, I'll talk. I'll talk about it here. I'll talk about it here in just a minute. Uh, but let's get into this first audio clip here for the episode. Zach's mom has arrived. How's it going? Easy tap when they're unconscious. Looks pretty clear. Cute kid. What's his name? Zach. Cell count glucose, protein, gram stain, and culture. He's got those shoes that light up when you walk. How do you think they do that? You gonna roll them back over? Who is that? What? That. You didn't tell me you had a macular rash. It wasn't there half an hour ago. It must be a viral exanthem. Could be measles. Measles? Yeah. Fever, altered mental status, pneumonia. Or more likely, he has a virus with pneumonia and had a febrile seizure from a high temperature. That is a classic measles rash. Abby, can you hear me a tongue depressor? Have you ever seen measles? No, have you? Of course not. Nobody's seen measles. Can you, uh... Complex spots in the buccal mucosa. What? Or he bit the inside of his mouth when he was seizing. Malik, there's an Nelson's in the lounge. Can you go grab it, please? Now. Hey, Zach, all right? This is Mrs. Woodman. I was in court. I have to turn off my cell when we're in session. Oh, my God. I'm Dr. Chen. Your son had a seizure and a high temperature. We've done a spinal tap to rule out meningitis. Mrs. Woodman, are all Zach's immunizations up to date? No. Has he had the MMR? He hasn't had any immunizations. None of our children have. Got it, Dr. Carter. Abby, put a mask on Zach. What's the matter? What the hell is happening? Oh, my God. You gotta get him into the laminar floor. Call the school. Don't let anybody leave. What's the matter with my son? Your son has measles. That's not too bad, right? One in 500 kids die from measles. Calling it right now. I'm nominating this lady for least favorite character at the end of the season. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> fuck this lady aggressively. Yeah. So my little homework that I wanted to do was I was wondering when the actual like specific article that initially that initially linked vaccines to autism. Actually oh, that that air quotes study that the yeah, guy eventually quotes, yeah. the guy eventually said he made the whole thing up. Yeah, that was eventually retracted by all of its co-authors, the journal, and the author of it was, uh, had his medical license revoked. Damage been done, though, son. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? When it was published yeah. originally. It was originally published on February 28th, 1998, mm-hmm. and was originally uh, published in a medical journal called The Lancet, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, it falsely linked specifically the MMR vaccine, which they're talking about here, to autism and was widely publicized in British media and eventually by celebrities, notably Jenny McCarthy, I believe, was mm-hmm. the person. Still is, um, I think. She's yeah. Way to, way to double down. It, it yeah. just, it was one big set of thing of bullshit that has paraded on for the years 
and has resulted in untold amounts of death, preventable deaths, both with COVID probably and with any number of. That's the other thing I was reading. In the by 2000, the U.S. had declared measles eradicated mm-hmm. in the U.S. That all changed after this. Yeah, that all changed about around started changing around this time. No, yeah. Hmm. So this was an incredibly frustrating just, episode to I watch. Have never wanted to reach through my TV and just grab someone by the neck and just shake them back shake them all around and be like but the yeah. one thing that pisses me off more than anything else there's so many things about healthcare that piss me off but jesus fucking christ people get your vaccines willful ignorance is not an excuse exactly you are not only potentially killing yourself you are potentially killing everyone around you depending on what illness you contract and guys, in case you think she's going out at strangers, no. The minute uh, the new COVID boosters were available, she was on my ass to get that scheduled immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She walks the walk. And my family uh, can convince my mom and dad while I was over there to get theirs. To get theirs, yeah, I got mine within three days of it being available. Yeah, mine has to wait till the we fifth. Just, but I'm we just had two people test positive for COVID today in my office. Yeah, you know, so it's for it's still very much still a thing. Of God, please, people. Get your fucking vaccines. No matter what, go see your doctor. Get up to date on your all your vaccinations. That's one of the best parts about me transitioning in the first place was me actually having regular healthcare appointments and actually getting updated on all of my vaccines that I had, I think had I, just missed. I think I have one other like stock one unrelated to like flu season that I still have to get like just yeah. out of cycle one, but. Just this, this, this whole storyline and this whole the, the episode itself really both both this storyline and uh, what we'll talk about with Elizabeth and Mark you know like the, I found myself like I texted you all in the, our little group chat uh, off mic like I found myself yelling at the screen a lot more in this episode like I just really this woman in particular really pissed me off and I hate it and I, I like like we talked about an episode or two ago with the antibiotic resistance uh, thing. I really love when there's a transparent soapbox that somebody is on. Like there's clearly a, an axe to be grinded by one of the mm-hmm. writers and it's you a know, good axe to grind. Oh, it is. And it's I, just, just like the antibiotic resistance. It's an excellent uh, axe to grind, but it is another one of those examples too, that we haven't really talked about in a while, but like, it's another one of those examples of the show being way ahead of the curve mm-hmm. and not just because I feel, I feel like I can remember even through like, early 2010s like 2011 2012 2013 people still sort of treating the anti-vax movement as just a bunch of wackadoos in the corner Mm -hmm. and like not something to be feared or not something to be like taken seriously they were just to be sort of like just just mocked openly rich granola moms right whereas this episode and like every and i give credit to the writers and i give credit to the to the motivations they place on the characters in this episode that like they take this a hundred percent seriously and they make a point narratively of pointing a finger at the screen and going this is fucking stupid and dangerous and you're gonna get people killed and it's very very important we'll get to it at the end of the episode it is very very important that this little boy dies at the end of this episode like because they need to make that point crystal clear to these dipshit mothers who let's be honest are a big chunk of their audience 
They need to make clear to these mothers mm-hmm. that look, this horse shit that you're playing with now that the internet is uh, you know, widespread, this horse shit that you're playing with is fucking dangerous and you're going to get your children and untold amounts of people who come in contact with your little fuck trophies killed. And it's just like, I love when the show just like takes the gloves off and it's just like, no, you're going to sit down and you're going to eat your vegetables. And like, you, you'll get to have your fun romance at the end of the episode. But for right now, you're going to sit here and you're going to fucking listen. And it's just maybe, really important. Maybe this is why my brain shut down halfway through the episode is because I'm like, I'm dealing with this in real life. Like, I just, my brain was like, I don't have room for fiction of this. Like, yeah. I mean, I love, I love, again, you know, shout out to Martin. I love to yeah. when she, she comes in and they do the whole, they're like, is he up to date on all his vaccines? And she, when, as soon as she says no, you get that, right. You get that fucking, it's like a punch to the gut, but in, in sound and you get that like harsh percussive tone. And yeah. then it just goes right into the score for the rest of the, Oh God, it, that, that it, it's so incredibly well done, but it is such a frustrating topic. Oh God. Also it's flu shot season. Definitely get your flu shots as well. I'm I got trying mine to, at the same time as my updated COVID booster. I know I'm trying to get a two for two. I'm trying to get my, my flu yeah. shot and my booster done at the same time. It was not a fun day the day after. Thank but, you. Yeah. Cause that's what I have to look forward to when I get mine. So I appreciate it. But uh, spoilers for my nominee for least favorite character of the season. Mom here is played by actress Missy Yeager, who appears in stuff like Manchester by the sea, uh, inexplicably Jake and Lizzie's favorite uh, Fox drama of the 90s, Boston Public, uh, and apparently Mad Men. Shout out to the Innocent Ladies. Haven't uh, shouted them out in a while. She's uh, Maybe she's an anti-vaxxer in Mad Men, too. Who knows? Except it's like the smallpox vaccine, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and it's the 60s. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The smallpox vaccine. You know, yeah. they were. That's, that's when they were rolling all that stuff out. Uh, Corday asks Mark how his final radiation treatment went, and he's like, it went like it went like all the others, you know, they, they shot some shit in my brain, put a weird birdcage over my face. And now I'm here. Uh, she just basically just jumps his bones right there at the, uh, admit desk and, uh, gives him a big old kid to the point where he's even like, okay, whoa, lady, like back it up. And Malucci's just kind of creeping in the background. And then when, uh, great, when Corday walks off, he has to walk up and ask too many questions about his recovery and if he got to keep the tumor, uh, which I like, this is good Malucci. Later on in the episode is not so good Malucci, but this Malucci is good Malucci. Uh, a man comes in to see Mark, a Dr. Robert Wilson, uh, and wants to speak to him in private about Mark's competency. So this is this is either the person that Carrie was talking to at the end of last episode or was dispatched by the person that Carrie was talking to at the end of last episode. And Dr. Wilson here is played by actor Tim Haldeman, and he appeared in stuff like Dante's Peak, Big Fat Liar, and Private Benjamin. Uh, Dante's Peak or Volcano, we all know where this podcast stands. We don't need to, like, relitigate it. I will say, though, Dante's Peak boiling granny in the river is, uh, <laughs> like, top ten movie scenes No, 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 for no. Me. It's not even boiling her. It's dissolving her in acid. Oh, is that what it is? I, th- I, feel, like I, I feel like we've, yeah, we've because- talked about this before. The whole thing, be, the whole thing becomes acidic. The lake becomes yeah, acidic. Yeah, that's that they're right. Going through. You're right. You're right. Because it eats through the bottom of the thing. It, that's a hell of a movie. Please, if you're in the mood for dumb disaster movie, you can do you can do far worse than Dante's Peak. Now I'm gonna go watch it after we're done here today. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go into another reason to get angry. Uh, well, same reason to get angry, but another another clip of it. Uh, Carter, Cleo, and Chen are talking about the mom 
and how the kid may have gotten measles in the first place. Where in the hell did he catch measles? Europe, I think. Mom was in Paris on business two weeks ago, took the whole family. She's some fringe lunatic, thinks immunizations are a conspiracy between doctors and drug companies? Oh, I don't think so. Talk to the mom, find out if there are other kids at home, where the child's been, anyone he's had contact with over the last week. They won't let me back there. We had to move him to a room with a special ventilation system so that he doesn't contaminate the rest of the ER. Is he awake? Still unconscious. He has pneumonia and, in all likelihood, encephalitis. What's that? Inflammation around the brain. Were you able to get in touch with the preschool? Yes, all the children are still there. Well, you need to make sure that they've all been immunized, their parents, their siblings, anyone that they've come into contact with. There's a phone at the desk. Just tell Frank that Dr. Carter said you could use it. OK. okay. Please. You have other children? Yes, a daughter. I called my husband. He's coming with her. And she hasn't been immunized either? No. Is that going to be OK? He's in grave condition with a highly contagious disease. I'm not an irresponsible parent. I read all the literature on the internet, the parenting magazines. I discussed it with my pediatrician. And he didn't recommend the MMR? I breastfed. Zach's immune system could have been weakened from too many vaccinations. The immune system is strengthened by vaccines. Kids are exposed to foreign antigens every day. Vaccines aren't completely safe. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I don't want to get they into an argument. They aren't, and you know it. The connection between true, vaccinations though, look, and autism. There is no connection. Dr. Carter, Zach dropped his sats. I really, really desperately wish at the end of this that when when Abby comes in, I wish this lady had just lunged at her so that Luca would kill her. Like, just, just <laughs> tackle this woman to the ground and beat her senselessly on the ground until there is no more sound. Like just everything this woman says makes my skin crawl and I hate it. And you know what else? You know, what's another small line that I hate even worse is fucking Chen with the, Oh, I don't think so. That felt like such a, that felt like a note that felt like a note from a studio person that was like, we need to give some, like we don't want to alienate our audience. We don't want to upset them. We, there's a lot of anti-vax people who enjoy ER as a program, and we don't... Fuck you! Like, just get your fucking kids vaccinated. <laughs> fucking assholes. Ah, just... And just... I could rant for hours upon hours. Just... Uh, th- this was the part where I, I was... How much I hate this and how much bullshit... This is where I was yelling at the screen, where she's like, I'm not a bad mother because of this. Yes, you are. You're terrible. Yes, You're an yes, awful you person. Absolutely. I... My eyes rolled back in my head when she was like, I did my research on the internet. I was like, oh, we're but it, here already. This is, the, this is what I'm talking about, though. Like, this is them being really ahead of the curve because, like, mm-hmm. how, pitch, how yeah. pitch perfect is that? Like, that person still exists uh, today. And this is that a... That person yeah. is the problem Right. Today. This is a 21-year-old episode of television, and they fucking nail her to the wall. Like she and doesn't still making fun of that person on Grey's Anatomy from time to yep. time. Like they're the only thing that's missing, you know, from this is mentions of Facebook and stuff because that doesn't exist yet. But like other than that, this person is a hundred percent still in existence and like still a problem today. And I need you all to know my soul just left my body realizing we're only sixteen minutes into the episode. Um, <laughs> but the reason. Are we good shitting on this woman? Because I I feel like it's going to be through the whole episode. It will be. It will be. Spoilers. It will be. Um, But so Abby calls Carter aside because um, Zach's not good. Zach's really not good. Um, 
So Chen and Carter run in and they need to intubate Zach because his oxygen is so bad. But Carter insists on doing it because it's Chen's first day back and this is a tricky intubation. Like, he's going to take care of it. Then we go over to Luca, who is talking to Joe, reminder, the bishop's helper. Um, and Joe asks if the bishop can still perform the ordination ceremony this afternoon because um, he's... I can't remember exactly the connection, but someone's getting become becoming a priest that he baptized you, from it like was. a long time ago. Yep, thank you. I couldn't remember exact connection, so of course he's gonna do the ceremony. But Luca runs in and yells at the bishop because his levels are terrible. And my favorite line of this episode: "Stop buttoning that damn shirt," because <laughs> the whole time he's being yelled at, the bishop's just trying to get dressed. Um, Luca does not think he would make it through the ordination to come back and get supplemental oxygen afterwards. And the bishop's like, I can be back by six o'clock. Luca says, you could be dead by six. Um, and the bishop says, you know, oh, it's in God's hands. It'll, you know, it'll be what it'll be. And Luca says, God couldn't give a damn. Uh, uh, and see, this is one of the things, speaking of things that piss me oh, off. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, here's, the... hold on. Here's Lizzie about to alienate a third of our listeners. Um, if you are Patreon. one of Faith, hold on. If you are one of Faith, skip ahead about three minutes. And... <laughs> Patreon.com slash podcast if you want to make up the chunk of my I'm about to lose this. One thing I genuinely do not understand about people who believe in God. Cool. Great. Awesome. Good for you. When they say, when they are presented with the means to help themselves that they say, oh no, it's going to be in God's hands. Is God not in the room by giving that, that person the ability to help you by bringing you to this place where you can heal? There's actually an old parable about that that but fits like, perfectly. But. Is, is that not God working? God gave Luca the talents to help the bishop and the bishop is still refusing his help? That's... That's pride. The, yeah. We call that, uh, well, is that one of the deadly sins? Probably. <laughs> T- tell, uh, you went to Sunday school. You got confirmed. How do you not know this? What are you, oh, one of the seven deadly sins? Yeah. Oh, I've watched seven playing growing up, so I'm pretty sure. <laughs> seven was what stuck. The Sunday school, not so much. Seven was I what know, got I was, true. All I was thinking about was playing Pokemon when I got home, and I was like, oh, God, I'm so bored. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they do sort of like close the loop on this a little bit later in the episode. Like he, mm-hmm. he, he sort of, he, he sort of does call out his own hypocrisy as like, you know, yeah. a man of faith and a holy man. So like, I, I, I sort of get where this is coming from, but, uh, you know, I'm never going to pass up a good opportunity for Lizzie to get up on a soapbox. Like it's, it's just, <laughs> it, it just genuinely confuses me. I, I would like to, uh, give all the, the flowers in the world to uh, Goran Vishnik for the incredible line read on God could give a damn. Like that's, mm-hmm. that, that was one of my favorite. God could give a damn. That was one of my favorite line reads in the entire episode. Like killed it. Uh, all right. Are you done pissing off the evangelicals or uh, can yes. I? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Patreon.com slash the Antone podcast. All right. To help great. Us. <laughs> great. All right. Help here, us recover that money. Here we go. Uh, so <laughs> we then go over, let's piss off the gays now too. Uh, Kim, Whee! Kim's, uh, over by the elevators talking with a woman about a presumed, uh, <laughs> I love the phrasing on this, a presumed additional lesbian friend. <laughs> <laughs> 
Warren was having a time we, we, doing the notes the other day. Oh. <laughs> we call we call that a palf on gay Twitter. Um, <laughs> oh. Much prefer much preferable to turfs. Oh. Uh, Christy is our friend here. Christy, uh, and she, uh, when, when Carrie comes out of the elevator, she says that, uh, oh, I'm so glad to finally meet you. A bunch of us were beginning to doubt your existence. And you can see the existential fear come across mm-hmm. Carrie's face when she realizes that Kim has... Just the Kill Bill alarms going off in yeah. her head. <laughs> Kim has been talking. Uh, and so Carrie gets invited to dinner with them. And of course, Malucci happens to wander into the fucking middle of this, which is, again goes back to my theory that Malucci is less of a person and more of just like a, a vestigial Doug Ross organ. Like he's just, (laughs) he's just like some unused part of George Clooney's anatomy that they cut off on his way out the door. Clooney's appendix. Because can you imagine if Clooney was still on the show, the fucking like shit post mugging he would be doing in the background while while Carrie's trying to have this very awkward, very gay conversation in front of the elevators. <laughs> like, I just, that's what I really am so sad about here because I also don't think they would have gone the extra mile with, uh, with Doug. Maybe I'm giving too much credit in hindsight, but I don't think they would have gone the extra mile with Doug the way they do with Malucci here, where Malucci of course has to make it fucking weird because we can't have anything nice with this character. Of course. Uh, Yeah. Uh, and Christy here, our uh, presumed additional lesbian friend, she is played by actress Megan Follows, who is best known for being the Anne, uh, she of Green Gables, uh, in the Anne of Green Gables series. Uh, okay. She's also, it's a big thing, I'm sure, with, like, housewives. Like, if you, if you look at the covers of all these, like, I, I don't know if it's videos or movies, that's how little research I did fam like i did very little research on this i just looked at the box art and i was just like i'm already bored and i'm not even watching this and i'm already bored uh oh there's there's at least a third of our listenership who's screaming at you right now how how what how how high can we get the percentage of our audience that we can alienate by the end of this episode uh running speed running uh, killing the podcast any percent any percent audience alienation uh (laughs) silver bullet and the republic of sarah all right well let's go to our first non-vaccine related audio clip of the episode here uh mark Walks over to yell at Carrie about writing him out. You turned me in? There's a guy from the medical board here questioning my competency. Don't walk away from me. I'm not walking away. I don't want to have this conversation in the middle of the lobby. He wants to see my medical records. He's planning on interviewing the staff to see if I'm still fit to practicing medicine. He can pull my license. I've been concerned about the changes in your personality since the surgery. I've tried to talk to you about it, but you've chosen to ignore me. So you call in the licensing board? Keep your voice down. They cut a tumor out of my head, Carrie. I'm sorry if I seem a little different to you. I wouldn't come back to work if I couldn't do the job. What about the aphasia? It's getting better. And if you're in an emergency situation and you couldn't think of the name of the drug you wanted, order the nurses have to play 20 questions while the patient dies. Nobody's dying. You have been insensitive and argumentative. I have not been argumentative. You have been shooting from the hip. And I'm not the only one who's expressed concern. For the safety of the patients, I felt I had to call the board for an objective assessment. I, I, I want you to pass so that we can all get back to work confident in your abilities. Okay? Team Carrie. Yep. Team Carrie, yeah. I know this is probably where a lot of people start saying she's a conniving bitch only looking out for herself. No. Taking that straight from uh, groups that we're in, but this is this is absolutely a team carry situation like yes especially because we've seen that she's tried to talk to mark we've seen her say hey maybe take some more time off yeah, yeah. 
like she's tried to be gentle about it. This is this is the source she- material for R slash Carrie Weaver did nothing wrong. Like this is this is one hundred percent like. I would put this up as exhibit A when people try to be like, Carrie sucks and she never does anything. Like right here. Like, sorry that it's, you know, sorry that your boys, which also, by the way, Mark, my brother in Christ, like, like three seasons ago, you came back to work too fast after a fucking traumatic event. And you were a real big asshole to everyone around you for like half of a season. So don't give me this bullshit of like, I wouldn't come back if I wasn't ready. Uh, no, <laughs> like <laughs> the lie detector well, test I, determined that was a lie. I love how she's like, are you going to have the nurses play 20 questions? It's already started to happen. Like it's already like it hasn't, you know, had any like major consequences yet, but who's to say that it wouldn't like, she's a hundred percent in the right. And like, I get sort of why Mark would be defensive about this and like why he would be upset about it. What I don't get is later on in the episode with Lizzie. Like, I just don't – that that's a whole nother bag of cats I, that we'll deal with. We can we can get into that, and I, I think I have some, some reasoning behind it. It's not great, but I think I can kind of suss out why. Yeah. But um, with that being said, are, are we good? Yeah. Okay. You, you don't got anything? Team Carrie? I'm, the vaccine talk has drained me. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so speaking of vaccine talk, our girl Cleo, again – she could have done so much. She she just, she could have been great. She comes out talking about essentially the classism of rich parents not having the privilege to not vax their kids, trusting that the poor kids will be human meat shields. Um, and she says, if everyone stops getting vaccines, smallpox will be back. Keep, give Cleo more to do. Like, give yeah. give her more to do. Have, have her make... Benton uh, understanding his own blackness, like part of her like big character arc. Have her have the Kanisha story be like her hallmark kind of like, you know, her her fucking her fucking Ruby storyline, the one that we like go back and talk about mm-hmm. to death, you know. Have her mace this anti vax mother in the hallway. Like have give her, her do have, have her be the lead doctor on yeah, it. Yeah. Have her start a Peds vaccine campaign from this. Like there's so many things they could do. And, of course, nobody told the EMTs uh, about Zach's measles, so they just uh, transported an, an immunocompromised individual in the same rig. Fucking Yeah, great. they do just kind of gloss over that. Like, that never gets followed up on. It's just like, a, no. uh, <sighs> Yeah. Um, so, again, give Cleo more. Cleo deserved better. And then we go, uh, Joe is walking the bishop out of the ambulance bay, and, of course, Luca watches from the window. While some excellent music starts yes. to play. Again, Martin nails it. Yeah, music is 10 out of 10 in this episode. Uh, go up, finally revisit Benton. Yes, for William White's records down at the Apple. Admit, is it Apple? Uh, based on the credit. Admissions yeah, office? Based on the credits, I'm going to call this department student affairs because they call they okay. call the woman he speaks to student affairs lady, helpfully credited. You just want to say who she is? Sure. Uh, she is played by actress Sonia Eddy, who appears in stuff like Those Who Can't, Pee-wee's Big Holiday, uh, and yeah. the uh, series Fresh Off the Boat. And she has 139 credits to her name, which I think makes her the high water person for this episode. So shout out to this lady. Good for her. Um, but yeah, a woman mentioned, they talk about like, oh yeah, I'm the director of diversity and whatever. And woman's men- the woman mentions that her husband wouldn't have the job that he does without affirmative action. So... 
Ben looks at Ben looks uh, for his own file to compare against William's rejected one. So yeah, I like that they don't really show you his file though. They just show the date ranges and then let you figure it out mm-hmm. for yourself. I like that. Yeah, they get there. Yeah, but also wait, he was only a second year then when we. Started I know. The yeah, show? that does sort of like. I mean, I guess that timing, that timeline does sort of make sense. There's a much wider gap portrayed between Carter and Benton because you think of them, you think of Carter as such a baby at that point. But I think it, yeah, I think I it was at least third. Year. I think it is sort of well. They they make note of Susan, I think, in the early part of season one that she's not quite there for chief resident. So like they're between they're right. they're somewhere between second and third years at the beginning of the gotcha the series. I remember we went to that in detail in our Setting the Tome read through, mm-hmm. Daniel. Um, but then from there, we go over to Abby walking out in the snowy ambulance bay, checking on Luca. They talk a little bit about the bishop and everything. And Abby says, go get him. Take some oxygen and make sure he's okay. Like, be be that change. Be, be what he needs. Be that instrument of God, essentially. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what more or what I would have cut to make room for it, but like I would, I would have liked to have seen them utilize Abby a little bit more in this episode. Abby sort of just kind of floats throughout this episode and just like happens to like wander into Lucas scenes to like drip a little bit of wisdom on him and then just disappears. And then you don't really see her for long stretches of time. I would have liked to have seen them like incorporate her a little bit better, but I don't, again, I don't know what I would have cut to like make that fix. I would have cut all the couples shit in the beginning. Because I'm heartless. We need to know how the couples have sex. No, we don't. One more time. At Lobob92345, where you can register your complaint. Get get at me, guys. I'm on the Discord, too. Bring it. (laughs) We then go up to uh, Benton's very ramshackle office across from the cafeteria, which, boy, really (laughs) makes me want to go back and and do another one of those layout videos of just, like, let's try and untangle this fucking web. Because he's clearly, like, up, elevate. Because we've established that the OR is on, like, a higher floor. But he's at least the second floor. Yeah, because that's nowhere on the first floor where the ER is right. based off the And based on, I think, seen, so. uh, Ambush uh, yeah. in season four. Or no. No, Ambush is the live episode. What's the one I'm thinking of? The um, Exodus. Based on Exodus in season four when they have the mass casualty, uh, the benzene exposure, and they push everybody into the, the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. The cafeteria is down that hallway behind uh, – uh, going away from the trauma rooms uh, down past the admit desk. So it's on the first floor. Yeah. And yeah, this is, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I think too much about you've these got things. An- you've got another slow day at work to figure this yeah. one out, Daniel. Uh, but uh, Benton is up in his office when Cleo comes in with some sandwiches and catches him up on the uh, whole vaccine fiasco unfolding downstairs. And uh, he explains what he's researching and uh, kind of dejectedly – uh, admits that he found his file listed under AA for affirmative action and says that he shouldn't have gotten in compared to the other uh, admitted students that year. And uh, somebody pointed out that uh, this is a possible plot hole uh, with season three. If you go back to season three with our friend Dennis Gant, uh, Omar Epps, uh, there's that whole conversation between Gant and Benton where he asks Gant if he ch- uh uh, did he check the box on his application that said he was African-American because Benton didn't. 
And so there's this whole thing of like, I didn't take the easy way out, da, 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 whatever sort of implication. And uh, so that sort of contradicts what we hear here. He could have gotten an interview just based on his based on his credentials. Mm-hmm. And then they see he's black. And, and they consider him. They consider him under affirmative could've been. action. Could have been. Over. Inst- no, that's, that's, that, that is a very, very fair point. I don't know. But it's just somebody pointed it out and it was like, oh, yeah, that is actually a good point. He does have that whole conversation with uh, with Gant. So. Uh, but uh, he says that William's stats uh, were all better than his. Uh, so it's just sort of this like this whole like th- this whole season for Benton has been very uneven. Like it's very uneven mm-hmm. and it's like they don't seem to really know what kind of other than the visit, which which is almost a perfect episode. But like other than the visit, Benton's whole thing this whole season has just been really like up and down and like they're kind of trying to find their way and then they almost accidentally make a point a few times and then like and then then they lose the thread again and it's like this whole this whole season with benton is such a fucking exercise in watching white people write black characters (laughs) like it is such it is such an exercise in watching like a room full of white dudes not even just white dudes but just white people trying to delicately navigate the topic of race through the through the voice of black characters and just really not quite getting it and not quite understanding what it is they're trying to say, because I'm sure that from their perspective, they're trying to do it in such a way, the same way we always do where they're trying to be like, I don't want to like accidentally put my foot in my mouth here. So I'm going to like tread very lightly. And in the process, they end up making no point at all. Like they end up making like the clumsiest way of making no point whatsoever. And it's just been kind of, especially because he was so on fire all last season, like season six Benton is like some of the best shit in the entire show. It's been really kind of disappointing to see how like barring a couple of really excellent moments, he's been largely just kind of like there the whole season and they just haven't really Mm -hmm. figured it out what it is they're trying to say. Uh, We need more Reese. That's the problem. Yes. There's been a distinct lack of Reese. Reese was really the thing that was keeping him propped up all of last season. To be fair, Reese is adorable. He is. Uh, let's go to our last audio clip here. The indulgent one that I warned earlier. It's like almost five minutes long. There is a few bits of silence here and there, so don't adjust your podcast machines. We are here, and you will hear more of James Cromwell's voice. Because, um, yeah, this is like the last, like, isn't like this the last, like, big yeah big ish I, I there will yes i would say this is probably this is the the pinnacle of the the bishop stuff and next episode there will be some resolution on it but i don't think it is nearly as um uh important or substantial as what we're gonna get here yeah and it's a couple of it's a couple of scenes that just flow very well together it's luca heads to the church to check on the bishop and then he's helping the bishop get up to the ceremony as well um and we i thought the church might have been the one on michigan avenue uh that's across from water tower place it's, apparently it was not i i, I looked up was... i looked up on our our trusty resource it's filmthere.com which uh said that it was the church located at 735 north state street in chicago which i can see but i can't see yeah <laughs> like, I, I, i've dropped several people off there in my uber days yeah. for weddings because it's a very popular wedding spot and it is very distinctly two different churches it is the exteriors are in chicago and the interiors are in burbank so gotcha two two very different churches 
Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, let's listen in. I'm okay. How long have you been having trouble breathing? I'm just gathering my strength. You have to go to the hospital. It's pretty, isn't it? The snow. So much beauty. Where's the phone? I need to call an ambulance. No, please. I only need a minute. You're dying. Evidently. As I was sitting here, I was reminded of the night I chose to become a priest. I'd been struggling with it for a long time. Several years. Anyway, that night, I couldn't sleep, so I, I got up and went out for a walk in the woods behind my father's house. It was snowing, like it is now. I don't have any idea how long I walked, but at a certain point, I suddenly realized I didn't know which way to go. I'd gotten lost. I was frightened. As I looked up into that dark night, he came to me. I saw all those millions of snowflakes drifting down toward me. So still. So peaceful. Perfect. And I was filled with the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. like pouring wine into an empty glass. I'm afraid I may have wasted my life. For some reason, I never accomplished the things I should have. What God wanted of me. Now I'm frightened. I'm afraid of dying. <laughs> there, I said it. I am. Afraid to die. You have to go to the hospital. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Is he all right? Yes. No. The procession is forming. What should I tell them? Tell them. I think I have to skip the processional. When did you lose your faith? I found with most people, it comes and goes. Like intimacy in a relationship. Sometimes it's so strong, a passion, rapture. And then at other times, it's impossible, distant lost 
that's not God. That's us. We put up our own barriers with our egos and our pain. He's always there, no matter what. Bach. I love Bach. Well, that's my cue. He's so good. Right, there, there's that other gear I was looking for. Yeah, I, you're telling me that this man did not win his award category? He did not. He did not. And I, I, I would like to I hesitate speak to whoever's whoever manages these voting things. I just want to talk. I just want to talk. <laughs> just, I just have some thoughts. Watch it be like you know he lost to like the CGI baby on Ally McBeal or something. Like watch it, <laughs> watch it just be some real fucking annoying bullshit. Ugh. Mm. I always feel like it's really underwhelming when we find out like you know. Oh, so-and-so didn't win the award for this thing. Who did? Oh, some asshole from the practice or something. You know, like, it's just, come on, guys. <laughs> like, 2001 is not the end of all <laughs> media. Like, things will, like, you don't have to, like, pick the hot new thing. You can you can pick the thing that's just good. And how can James Cromwell say that he didn't accomplish all the things he wants in life? He was the first to make first, he was the person to make first contact with the Vulcans. Get, get him in now. Like, He's gone next episode. So like, ah. get, get, get your, get the jokes in now. Like, sorry. I just, I watched that. I rewatched that movie. It's really recently. good. It, it is a really, still excellent, movie. really great movie. And Lauren is looking something up. It's for outstanding guest actor in a drama series. 2001. All right. Lauren's looking up to see who, who the Jamoke is that beat out James Cromwell for this award. But yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think like what Daniel said. This is the other. This is the next gear. Yeah, yeah. This I take back everything that I said. Excellent. I take back everything I said about him in last episode or episode before, whichever it was. Like, dude. Oh no, dude. Dude absolutely has the the kind of Sally Field muscle that he can go to if if he wants to. Daniel, was it this? It was in fact. It was in fact uh, someone from the practice. <laughs> See, like it's so fucking stupid. Michael em- Michael Emerson. Like you know. I'm sure it was a. F- oh, that guy. I'm sure it was a oh, fine guy. episode. I don't get me wrong. I speak as someone who hasn't seen a frame of the practice and has no interest in it. But like, come on, guys. Oh. Like he also beat out Patrick Dempsey on Once and Again and Oliver Platt on The West Wing. Oliver, which damn, if that's the season I'm thinking of for The West Wing, that's actually really impressive. I maintain this is completely off topic, but I maintain that all as if it wasn't already. I maintain that Oliver Platt is like one of the biggest like act like fraud actors. Like where it's just like you think of Oliver Platt and you're like, he's a really great actor. He's been in really good stuff. Look at his filmography. That man has been in some of the biggest fucking dreck you have ever seen in your life. Like Oliver Platt just will show up and do any old bullshit you ask him to do. And then like he somehow retained this like reputation as master thespian and my man is in like sharknado six like we'll just do anything with a paycheck and it's like i'm not mad at you on one hand but at the same time like i don't know just that's come on you mean the man who has a major role in roland emmerich's that's what i'm talking about like that's what i'm talking about like (laughs) 
you think of Oliver Platt, and I don't know. I just like think of him as like somebody showing up with one of those like big white scarfs at a at an award show, like just mm. master thespian guy. And yes, he's in fucking 2012. Like you can't that can't be the same guy. Those two people can't exist in the same timeline. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? The art the artist art, artisan has to eat. Wait, and it's true. Roland Emmerich's checks cash just as well it's as true. anyone else's. It's true. Kelly Martin has made a very lucrative career out of appearing in just Hallmark Drek. So, you know, yeah. like, those checks clear just as good. I shouldn't be mad. But th- this episode is very chonky, so I would recommend Lauren just uh, fucking move us right along, please. <laughs> I, oh, oh, it's not me saying are we done yet this time? Okay, uh, so th- now we go on to Benton Coburn, Ty Coburn, and Romano doing their candidate interviews, and there is a ridiculous montage of everyone's answers bleeding into one another, and it is so well done. Like, make this the clip of the episode, Daniel. You know, dear God, you, you know that uh, you know that uh, that meme of the guy like with his hands on his hips, disappointed and like turning mm-hmm. away. That should be CCH Pounder looking through the window in this scene because why is Coburn yeah. the fucking one doing this and why isn't it fucking why isn't it CCH Pounder? Like that there's still a part for her in this in this show and they've yeah. CCH Pounder went to the farm upstate. Right. Aww. Like like 3 seasons ago, but like there she should just be looking through the window just like really? You couldn't have called me for this? I couldn't sit at a table and like mediate a conversation between a very bored Paul McCrane and a very morose Eric LaSalle. Come on. And just a single tear rolling down her. At chair. least right. it's not, at least it's not Kaysen. I guess that's true. That's true. Yeah. I it suppose could be that's worse. They, they did feel the need to balance out the scene with a woman. And they probably also felt that given Benton's role in this whole situation, it didn't make sense for it to be. That's true. Person. That is true. But I do love that. Clearly this was a conversation in the writer's room of like, well, we can't just have it be Romano and Benton at this table. We, right. we need a third. Like, yeah, <laughs> we, we need to round out this thruple somehow. It reminds me of the uh, interview section in a uh, mystery men too. Oh yeah. Very. Yeah. As well. Not, not two is in the number two, but as well, there were a couple very, of people, there were a couple of people in this montage too, who like, Again, when I looked at the IMDb, nobody really like jumped out, jumped out at me. But there were a couple people in this little montage who I was like, that person looks mildly familiar. Like that person looks like they maybe went on to do like a progressive commercial at some point or something like just, you know, some bit part in something that I probably seen 50 times in passing, but don't actually know what it was. I had that happen today while we were watching She-Hulk, actually. So fun fact. There you go. Yes, Lizzie. I was going to say one of the people I think I didn't look this up. So I may be talking out my ass, but you know, this is my, this is, this that's is what this is. This yeah. I think one of them was, I cannot remember her name, but she was the co-star with, I can, the movie always be my maybe. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun rom-com on this on Netflix. Cool. I forget. But yeah, that's where I, that I watched recently. So anyway, uh, Ali Wong. Maybe nah. yes, yes, yes. That is her. Well, her earliest credit is 2011, so yeah, definitely, definitely not. not. Dang. Because yeah, she was born in 82. But I, I do like how all the students in this uh, episode are all uh, helpfully credited as like student number one, student number two, yep. all the way through to like student number 15. Yep. <laughs> like, just holy shit! But yeah, it's it's a very very fun little scene. 
Moving on to scenes that aren't fun, though. Uh, Corday comes out guns blazing to yell at Carrie for ratting Mark out. And I love Carrie's delivery here. As she's being screamed <laughs> at, she just goes, hello, Lizzie, how are you? <laughs> and it's so good. It's so, like, we do not deserve Laura Inez, but um, just... Uh, the the it boils down to essentially Lizzie says I hope that you sometimes get a near fatal disease so I can do absolutely nothing to help right you. what the fuck it's fucking I'm savage gonna, I'm gonna say this I hate to I hate to pull this card but hormones hormones and the sheer stress of watching what Oof. Mark just went through and like knowing how much it must have devastated him to have to be reported like this that is the only thing is this is just fierce mama bear hormones coming out true it is but th- but her delivery is so good yeah like both of them play this perfectly and um kim hears the whole thing and pops around the corner to ask what's going on and if carrie's still on for dinner oh boy so great cool carrie's having a real normal one today uh How are we all and then Car- no, and then Carter <laughs> sees uh, Zach's post intubation X ray is still up on one of the boards in the hallway, and decides he's gonna go run it upstairs and just check on Zach, see how he's doing. Uh, we pop back over to Coburn, Romano, and Benton, all evaluating the interviewees. Very blasé, very like, yeah, fine, okay, no, whatever. Like, clearly they're just like they want to get done. Yeah, who is this? Who is that person? Oh, yeah. oh okay, yeah. And then uh, Benton actually advocates for William to get an interview because they hadn't even interviewed one person of color in that whole process. And he's like, this guy had better scores than most of them, except this one criteria. I think it was his MCATs. Mm -hmm. He was like, that was a little low, but look at all the other stuff he was doing. So like Benton really advocates to at least get him an interview. And that's what he says. He says, I just want him to have an interview. That's it. But hey, guess what, folks? Guess what? what might happen if you don't vaccinate your fucking children? We're not there yet. Well, we're sort of there. It's, we're not to that scene yet. I mean, we are sort of. It's like, it's kind of, it's all woven together. Oh, that's right. It does. Yeah. Work. It's well, all fine then. I'm shutting up. <laughs> yeah. So we, it's, it's weird. It starts with the Bishop during the ordination with Luca watching in the shadows and sort of fade and fades into Carter going up to check on Zach with the audio of the procession still going on in the background. A plus audio mixing this episode. Mm-hmm. A plus. It's a feast for the ears, this one, I tells you. And uh, yeah, Zach is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but it was that delivery. No, that's. I had, so I had in this, which it is an excellent uh, audio mixing, and the, the cinematography is great, like Luca in the shadows, like sort of softly lit in the shadows and like mm-hmm. uh and then we'll get to the the stuff at the end with the with him at the uh the flashbacks which that's that's a whole nother fucking thing um all of this is just insane like i just i love this whole sequence so but this is the thing that i thought like in my mind like this is this is the way people were gushing over the opening gush over this little two minute sequence here. yeah like this is my favorite part this of this is the good shit right here like this is the stuff that really gets me going and uh, I did have an honest to goodness, oh hey, it's that guy moment in all of this though. In the in the midst of all this chaos, uh, so when they go up, when Carter goes up to check on Zach, uh, there's a doctor in the PICU already working on him. And uh, the guy, I was like watching him, and I was like, I know this guy. Where the fuck have I mm-hmm. seen him before? Holy shit! 
who is this guy? And I did a deep dive on his fucking IMDb. And so the, the Pick You Doc is played by actor Randy Oglesby, who appears in stuff like Nothing to Lose, Pearl Harbor, and one of our favorite fucking problematic faves, Independence Day, where he plays one of the guys who uh, confronts uh, Randy Quaid's character in the diner at the beginning of the movie before the aliens really like oh, attack. And he's like, yeah, okay. he's the one that like tries to like pretend that he's. Uh, Randy Quaid's friend he's like oh yeah I, I believe you I believe all that stuff tell him all about it. tell him about how they probed you and all that stuff like he's that guy and I just was like yes like I was it was triumphant when I figured out who this guy was he was also in Mad Men and of course yeah, the West Wing. Co- well you know you got to make the rounds but yeah he has exactly. 116 credits to his name and I was just very happy that I solved that little mystery for myself but yeah vaccinate your fucking children people yeah that's the the byline of this episode but then we after we tap after we see that uh then we get like daniel said earlier we move into like this weird like flashback <sighs> sequence where this weirdly weirdly intense set of flashbacks where he sees his whereas luca is at his wife and child's funeral with the sound of bombs going off intermixed with all of the processional audio it's so good and Here's here's yeah. a little PTSD as a treat. Yeah, it's yeah. so like, and I I realize that there's a, they're trying to do they're trying to balance a lot of things with not only this scene but this episode. But God damn it, there's a part of me that wishes this ended the episode. Like this this would be mm-hmm. such a fucking rager of a of a epi- like where you're just like I, I'm thinking of like in the streaming age where you're just like. Well, shit, now I have to watch the next episode. Like, now I can't go to bed yet. Like, I have to watch the next episode and, and mm-hmm. watch how they untangle Luca's PTSD web. Like, th- that was such a, like, insane scene to end on. And there's, like, another five minutes of episode. And it's just like, oh, man, like, come on. Just let me have a little bit. Anyway, yeah. Lauren, tell us how the gays are doing. Oh, I have thoughts about this scene. Um... So Kim and Carrie are out to dinner with Kim's friends. Kim's, so Kim's Palfs, use their Christian name. Kim's Kim's Palfs, it's Kim, Carrie, and three other friends. I, two other Two other Palfs. Two other Palfs. And um, at one point, one of the women says, oh, do you realize everyone at this table has slept with Kim? Okay, as the resident straight, is that not a weird thing to say? No, that that that's, does. It's a that, weird thing to say. I have said that like drunkenly or when I was high and with my with friends. Like regardless randomly, of sexual orientation, like, I feel like that's weird. Yeah. That's weird it's, dinner table conversation. I think, I think it's one thing if you're friends with all the people or like you know like it's in that kind of situation. But they've just met Carrie. They know Carrie's not out. They know this is her first relationship. If Kim has told them anything, they know all this shit. Like that's not cool. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing I want to note, I don't know if you guys caught this, but they made a U-Haul joke. I did, yeah. I which, liked it. Which yeah. is like, oh, they, you, she, bet she brought a U-Haul on the very second date. <laughs> and it's like, oh, hey, I, I get that reference now. Um, I didn't know about it until Lizzie told me about U-Hauling once once we had been dating for a while. Um, you mean us moving in after less than a year? There were circumstances that made that make I sense. I know, but still. <laughs> um, but... Carrie's just really uncomfortable and just not not around for the talk at all. And she just she runs out and says, I have to go, like I have to be to work early tomorrow and she bails and uh Kim runs out after her and Carrie just says, I don't belong here. Goes on to say, I care about you, but I'm not interested in adopting a lifestyle. Which I'll say, it's harsh 
but I understand. No, sure, yeah. Like, and and the, something... the, 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 like, visceral and easily, like, understood pain that you see on Kim's mm-hmm. face when she says that, like, it... She mm-hmm. registers it as almost like a slap in the face, and it just... Yeah, and it's, it, it can be such a hard thing, though, because it's, like, being in the community that we're in, there's some times that even I've had to, to step back and be like, okay, this is... It can be a lot. Like, depending on who you're with and what the conversations are and everything, sometimes just... And this, again, it's just like sexuality. Queerness is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Your involvement in the community is a spectrum. We have people in our lives that I sometimes find too much lifestyle, even for me kind of thing. And it's just like, it's, it's balancing that. And it's, you know, that's not a conversation you have while you're freaking out at the end of a hard day. That's a conversation you have over a couple glasses of wine at somebody's house Mm. and like chat it out. Yeah. But I think Lizzie knows exactly what and who I'm talking about with that. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, so sometimes it's just like. Even even for us gays, it can be a lot depending on who and what's going on. Um, so yeah, Kim, or Carrie gets in the cab and just tells the driver, "Just drive, just get me out of here. Just I don't, I can't be here." So it's it's so hard for both of them, and it's just like, of course, we all want to say to Carrie now, being in twenty twenty two, just just come out, right. just be a happy gay, just just you know embrace it. It'll be fine, but. That was not the case 21 years ago. And it's sometimes, even I forget just how far we've come in the past 10 mm-hmm. years alone. Yeah. To where it's like, no, this is, this is, so, it's, it's, it's harsh, but it's reasonable for her to be this petrified. Yeah. So it's, it, it hurts Kim and it sucks. And it's ultimately why they don't end up working out. But Carrie. Spoilers. <laughs> Carrie is is somewhat justified in her fear and in her hesitancy here, for sure. But with that being said... I couldn't say it better myself. Thank you. Every once in a while, I get it right. Uh, With that being said, we go back over. Joe is calling Luca for help because the bishop collapsed when they were getting him changed out of his vestments. And uh, Cordae gets home to find all the lights off, looking for Mark, finds him sitting on the bed, deep in thought. Uh, Turns out he was recommended for formal competency evaluation. For, for a formal competency evaluation, which is a five-day process, MRIs, interviews, tests, blah, 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 blah. And he just says, the good times just keep on coming. Mm, mm, that hit different last night after my doctor called me. Yep, which is a goddamn mood. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah. So uh, we close out the episode, Luca standing, staring up at the snow when Abby finds him and uh, says that the bishop might surprise him and then asks if he's ready to go home. And we close out on even more excellent work from Martin, who for my money is the fucking MVP of this episode. Like, shout out Martin Davich. Give that man his flowers. And also, whoever does the audio mixing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this whole episode, like from a sound design and, and a, and a soundtrack and, and just all of that perspective is like a 10 out of 10. There's a few parts of this episode that are like a little clumsy and like, don't quite hit the mark. It's still a great episode. I would still give it like a, at eight and a half, I think, but yeah, yeah. that's, that's about where I landed too. Like there's like Benton's storyline could definitely have been handled better this episode. Yeah. I just don't think they've, I think they've sort of lost the thread on, on that whole, that whole thing, that whole storyline. Like the Kanisha thing obviously didn't work the way they wanted it to. And I almost feel like this is a do over where they're just like, 
all right, well, that the, like the gangland aspect didn't work, so let's try to go back to the whole affirmative action angle and see if that works. Like, it just feels like they're throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks, and it's yeah. just eh, not really satisfying. But it's a damn shame that James Cromwell did not win. Yeah, he's on fucking yeah. fire yeah. this episode. Just, like, he if Martin's not the MVP, then James Cromwell certainly is because he's on fire this episode. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to love here. There's yeah, it's just it's solid. Yeah. It's solid. It's a solid above average episode. Yeah, very much above average. Top, episode. I would say yeah. in the top tier of this season, which this is saying sure. a lot because this has been a barring one or two stumbles, this has been almost a perfect season. All right, uh, Lauren, what the listeners have to say about it? Boy, howdy, what didn't they have to say? Tell, uh, um, tell us, let them tell us how wrong we are about the opening sequence. And Daniel, I will tap out if I need a hand. Um, we start with at basic mall says the opening of this episode pops the fuck off. I have no clue what it is about it. Maybe the music or the slight melancholic feel, but I love it. It's my favorite opening of the entire damn show out of all 15 seasons, 331 episodes and 26 main cast members season seven, episode 14, a walk in the woods has my favorite opening. I've watched this episode just for the opening, especially the Mark and Elizabeth part. Lauren interjecting here. It's okay to be wrong. <laughs> um, wow. Oh, added. You hear that? Down to a child. Added, added her own child on, on a recording. I love you, Maul. Uh, now, speaking of Elizabeth, as we all know, I am Elizabeth Corday's number one defender. However, I'm firmly on team Carrie Weaver. The fact they paint Carrie as a villain for being concerned about Mark after his tumor is removed after his tumor is removed has always bothered me. Especially when Elizabeth says, Damn it, Carrie, they sawed off half his skull. Elizabeth, you are literally proving her point. Carrie should have responded, That's exactly why. And like even Elizabeth says she can't be impartial. Carrie is one hundred thousand percent right. There is legitimate concern about Mark's well being and ability to work. I feel as if Mark should have been home for longer. I'm sorry, Mal. I love you. Um, <laughs> it gets worse. At, There's more of this. Like I know, I know. I had I had to at least get it out with Mal because I know that she'll forgive me and <laughs> will only be a little wounded. Uh, I don't I don't communicate with half of our listeners as much as I do her. So, uh, at Leah 1989 says my memories of this one are wrapped up in the beginning and ending moments with that beautifully haunting score. If there's a perfect twinkle moment for me, it's the early morning opening sequence. We don't often see a tranquil common thread (laughs) connecting these characters on a show based in a fast-paced ER, and this intro is my top favorite ever. The strange and funny moments in some of their conversations just level it up even more. Exhibit A, Mark suggests Amanda as a baby name, kind of like his stalker. Excuse me, what? And I love the symbolism in the closing scene with Abby finding Luca lost in thought, searching for direction since it relates to the tale the bishop tells about being lost and found. As Luca turns to follow her home, I can't help but smile at that glimpse of what will become the endgame peeking out at us all the way back here in season seven. She becomes the way he will move forward. He just wasn't fully aware of it, and I would bet neither were the writers at this point. I want to point out with this next one, too, that I cut out a whole section of the response. I, I saw it on. I cut out a whole section of the response where Jen also gushed about the opening of the episode. So, like, we're just piling on at this. point. I felt like it was like overkill. So I was like, I'm going to just cut that part out and just get to the, the, the meat of it with Jen. So sorry, Jen. Oh, we, we love you, Jen. But, yeah, I'm looking at this response in um in Discord. And golly, I appreciate your feedback, 
but wow. Um, so Gen T, truncated, says, The Bishop, what an arc this is. This is Luca's turning point where he can choose to move on and accept everything that happened to him, or he can continue just skating by in life, not forming any real connections. It's so beautifully told and acted. I can't gush enough about the storyline, for real. The scenes in the church, just wow. Benton in the William White case just makes me sad. It's so true to life and it really hits. Say it with me, y'all. Carrie Weaver was right. A doctor coming off from brain surgery shouldn't have even been cleared to work without an evaluation. Elizabeth was totally out of line coming at Carrie that way. And damn, did Carrie ever go through it in this episode. Poor baby. Ah, finally, that last sequence when Luca tells Abby, I couldn't find a forest, just kills me every time. It's a wonderful peek into what they'll be able to teach each other through the rest of the show. Chef's kiss. And last but not least, we have Grace B, who says, I saw this and couldn't remember why I was so why I so viscerally noped away from it. I'm walking to the post office now and just realized, oh, fuck, this is the episode where a child dies because the logical conclusion of the mom's anti-vax rhetoric is I'd rather my child be dead than autistic. <sighs> I, re <laughs> I remember at the beginning of the pandemic when other people were all of a sudden upset and surprised by the level of anti-vax rhetoric pouring from all corners. I had a friend bring up bring these feelings up to me and very astutely conclude his rant with, and then I realized that this must be how Grace feels all the time. I could only shrug my shoulders, laugh bitterly, and nod. In case it weren't obvious, I am autistic, and I don't think people who aren't affected by this rhetoric can appropriately comprehend the mixture of mortification, internalized ableism, and fury that this evokes. Hey, I'm autistic, by the way. <laughs> so that, that gives some context to my earlier rage. I, I saw Lizzie peeking out and I needed to make a pause for her to talk. Um, Grace goes on to say, I'm grateful Carter blatantly pushed back. I'm angry it still needs to be said. And I'm not looking forward to the Cure Autism posters that'll paper the ER walls for the next several seasons. The face Lizzie is making right now needs to be it is, an emoji in Discord. It, it do is, not need to be cured. It is sort of shocking, though, what a forceful point they have Carter make here about there being no connection, about how it's not a thing. and th Which I, I get that it's slightly different when you're talking about the writing of the episode versus how the set gets decorated. I realize mm -hmm. those are probably not two departments that frequently chat. But like right. it does sort of seem like mixed messaging of, like, we're going to have Carter make this very firm, very clear point that this perspective is wrong but then also turn around and have those posters up for like most of the rest of the run of the show yep dumb um and then finally expect a rant on that when we get there with sources i love our listeners you guys are all great you guys are fantastic thank you all right well that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today thank you all very much for listening as always thank you for listening through my rants really appreciate it uh the sh show is brought to you part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast for only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 55 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and who's fixed of those, where Lauren reads us some ER fan fiction. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at Sanitone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sanitone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell. 
where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. Now we already know where we can find Lauren, so we can give a tell her how she is. That's at Low Bob, and it's on Instagram. It's just drop the second B. It's Low Bo nine two three four five. Just anywhere you know you want to add on Discord. Discord, yeah. Uh, Who know. I have a different username on Discord just to fuck people up. But yeah, just just get at me. Tell me get, how wrong I her. am. You got to cultivate a brand with just one, which is one unified. You know, identity. I did. And then I started using my WoW character name for stuff that I wasn't going to use that often, like Discord and Twitch. Oh, yeah. And then I went, oh, I am going to use all this for the same stuff. And then Shit. it was a problem. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at RandomGamer. That's JM3R. As well as everywhere else you can find me at, as, at RandomGamer. I have, I, it's the brand, I have consistent know? branding. Exactly. I don't. Just like I can't stick to one show or one book, I can't stick to one username. Consistent branding for my shitty opinions. Thanks all very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week.